Hello everyone, you are listening to There's a Lot on My Mind with Mike Danner, and I am Mike Danner, and uh, this is uh, this is going to be a fun episode today. Um, this is going to be the second Movies in the Theaters episode that I've done, uh, the first one being the 1986 movie An American Tale. So these episodes are uh, basically movies that I have seen in the theater that had a big impact on me. And I'm doing one a year for every year that I've been going to the movies, uh, which began in 1986 with the, uh, 1986 movie, An American Tale, which you can go back and listen to if you want. Um, it's episode three of the podcast. Um, today, uh, I'm going to be talking about uh, I, I believe this is the second movie that I ever saw in the theater, and it would have been either late summer or early fall of um, 1987. I believe it was early fall, uh, and I'll, I'll get into why I believe that in a little bit. But um, this movie is Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Um, uh, so Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs was originally released in um, December of 1937. Uh, well, it premiered in December of 1937, and it was widely released in February of 1938. And um, I was able to see a re-release of this movie um, for the 50-year anniversary, um, which was in 1987. So I guess to start, um, before before I go into the, the synopsis of the movie, um, and I rewatched it, and I, I'm pretty sure I rewatched it for the first time since I saw it in the theater in 1987. And it was a real trip watching it, because there were some scenes and images that I really, I, I, I don't think that I have seen since then, and they... Um, uh, uh, they really sparked, you know, some memories for me, which was interesting. Um, but, um, yeah, so, uh, I remember seeing this movie in the theater in 1987 and I guess, uh, so I would have been four years old. And so this movie was re-released uh, many times between 1937 and 1987. And it was also re-released, uh, I guess once after that, but we'll get into that. Um, but, um, it was released on July 17th, 1987, um, as the 50th anniversary of the movie. And I saw it early in the fall, uh, because I have a very specific memory, really the, aside from some of the images and, and scenes in the movie that I, that I do remember seeing, um, the, <laughs> the most specific memory I have about seeing this movie um, was, uh, so I went and saw it with, with my mom, I guess I would have been in, in preschool. This would have been my final year before kindergarten. Um, and I think my brother, Tim, my older brother, I, I have this memory of Tim being there with his entire first grade class. And, um, I, I remember seeing the movie with my mom and my brother Tim was there and he and his class were sitting kind of, you know, a few rows in front of us. 
And uh, before the movie started, Tim came up to join me and my mom in the theater. And for whatever reason, his entire class followed him. And I was just surrounded by all these strange first graders. And I'm in preschool. So these are like big kids. These are like big, scary kids to me. And I, I remember just being really uncomfortable with the whole thing. And I didn't really like being around that many people. Um, uh, and, and that definitely uh, colored my viewing of the movie. I think I remember just kind of wanting to get away from all those people. It's funny because it's kind of the opposite experience that I had for um, when I saw An American Tale, which uh, ended in me sitting entirely by myself. Um, my family uh, had already left. And uh, if you want to hear that story, you can go back and listen to the An American Tale episode of the podcast. Um and, and then in, when I went and saw Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, all of a sudden I'm surrounded by people. So kind of the opposite problem. And uh, I, wasn't, I didn't like it. But <laughs> I did like the movie, though, however. And um, uh, re-watching it, um, which, again, it's, I believe the first time that I've re-watched it, that I've watched it since I saw it initially in the theater. Um, although, you know, of course, I've seen clips and that sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, there was quite a bit in the in the movie that um uh i remembered strongly and and um uh you know we'll get into it so i guess first things first let's uh let's just go ahead and just talk about uh just the plot of the movie and just the the, the whole movie and what it what it's about so the movie opens up on a storybook um and the storybook says, once upon a time, there lived a lovely little princess named Snow White. And I, I, I like it how, like, throughout the movie, uh, multiple times, that she's referred to as the little princess. Um, uh, I just think that's funny. Um, so, once upon a time, there lived a lovely little princess named Snow White. Her vain and wicked stepmother, the queen, feared that someday Snow White's beauty would surpass her own. So she dressed the little princess in rags and forced her to work as a scullery maid. Uh, and then the storybook page turns and it says, Each day the vain queen consulted her magic mirror, magic mirror on the wall, who is the fairest one of all? And as long as the mirror answered, you are the fairest one of all, Snow White was safe from the queen's cruel jealousy. So it sets the movie up. I always get stressed out to be honest, when movies open with a ton of text on the screen, because you never know when, you know, the the page is going to turn or the, the screen is going to change and, and then, you know, you might miss a last sentence. So um, it, and w even more so in a movie like this, which is geared towards children who probably, you know, many of them can't read yet. So um, here's all this, this information um, that the target audience is just woof, over their head. Um, you know, whatever. It's cool. Uh, it's still a cool, cool way to open up the movie. And, um, it, uh, yeah, it's, it's fine. It, it, it's not that important. We, you get, you get the gist of it anyway, but, um, so then we open up after the storybook and we're in the castle and, uh, in, in the castle, the queen summons the slave in the magic mirror. And she says, slave in the magic mirror, come from the farthest space through wind in the darkness. I summon thee speak, let me see thy face. And, um, this, uh, this, this purple face appears in the mirror and, you know, you all know 
the the scene. It's I'm not telling you anything new here, I would imagine. But um, so she says, "Magic mirror on the wall, who is the fairest one of all?" And and he says, "Fame is thy beauty, Majesty, but hold a lovely maid I see. Rags cannot hide her gentle grace. Alas, she is more fair than thee." Um, and the queen asks for him to reveal her name. Um, and he says, lips red as the rose, hair black as ebony, skin white as snow. And the queen realizes that it's snow white and she is just pissed. Um, you know, this is the first time after, I would assume, years of asking the magic mirror uh, who the fairest one of all is. And um, I guess prior to that, uh, he's said, you are the fairest one of all. Um, but the, the queen is... I don't know, kind of like, you know, it's kind of got like an angular face and kind of, I don't know, they're, 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 apparently there's just not that many people in the, uh, in the, in the land because if, if it's between the queen and Snow White, I guess maybe they're just like the only two women that live in this world. Um, uh, and I guess there's actually a chance because they're, I believe, now that I think of it, the only two women in the movie. So, hey, there we go. So now, on this day, it turns out Snow White is the fairest one of all. And then we cut to outside of the castle, and Snow White, she's washing the steps of the castle, and she's kind of humming to herself, and she's wearing these rags, and she's surrounded by all these birds, you know, and it's just that kind of, um, uh, that, that it's, you know. Um, and uh, so she walks over to this well, and she pulls a bucket of water up, and she's humming, and she tells the birds um, that she's wishing for the one that she loves. She says, I'm wishing for the one I love to find me today. I'm hoping and I'm dreaming of the nice things he'll say. Um, it's interesting how on this day, it, the mirror tells the queen that she that Snow White is the fairest one of all. And this is also the day that um, Snow White starts to think, that she wants to, you know, find a man for herself. Um, so maybe those those things coincide. Maybe it's just a coincidence. I don't know. Just thinking about that. It's interesting. Um, but uh, um, uh, the, the wishing well uh, echoes back to her as she sings. And um, as she's singing this little song into um, the wishing well, uh, this, this prince on a horse appears out of nowhere and immediately he is enchanted by snow white. He, he, he's, you know, he's got the, he just is in love with her immediately. And, um, as she's singing, we see kind of the, uh, reflection in the, uh, in the wishing well. And we see snow white singing this song about finding her true love. And then, uh, boom, the prince appears and he basically finishes her sentence. And uh, and he says hello to her, and Snow White freaks out so hard, and um, she she I guess it's just too much for her to handle that she wishes for her true love to appear, and then bada bing bada boom there he is, and um, she can't she can't deal, and so she uh, uh, runs inside the castle, and um, and then she goes into her room and she steps out on the balcony. And um, he sings to her while she stands on the balcony looking down at, her, at him. And they're both clearly in love with each other already. And um, 
then we see we go up in the castle and we see that the queen is watching on from above and she slams the curtains shut and she's real pissed so she's you know she just found out that snow white's the fairest one of all and now she looks out and she sees that this prince is you know courting young snow white and uh, so the, the queen is not happy about that um, and then the, the prince continues singing and he says, one song my heart keeps singing of one love only for you. And, uh, um, and this bird comes down and lands on the prince's finger and the bird blushes um, because I guess the bird is also in love with this prince a little bit too. Uh, it's kind of funny. But um, yeah, so anyway, that's the scene. It basically, you know, Snow White and the Prince fall in love in this scene just by singing to each other and seeing each other and you know from the look of this land that they live in they're probably like the only two within each other's age bracket so it just kind of makes sense that they would fall in love that would be my guess Um, next up we're in the castle again and the queen uh, is there talking to this huntsman and the huntsman's kind of funny looking his face is like a different color than his neck it kind of looks like he painted his face or something but I, I don't know that's just you know just the way he looks but um uh he's kind of got like this tan face and um the queen tells the huntsman to go kill snow white in the forest um but he doesn't want to and he's he's like no the little princess and he gets all kind of bent out of shape and it's kind of funny and um you know it's kind of nice that uh he, he doesn't want to kill her but eventually he agrees that he will and he he and the queen hands the huntsman this little box and she tells him to uh, bring back snow white's heart in the box and he says okay he'll do that he'll go murder snow white for the queen um next up we're in the forest and um i guess it's later that day or the next day and um Snow White is uh, singing to herself and she's singing the song that she and the prince were singing and um, she's kind of just like kind of lost in her own thoughts and she's picking wildflowers and at this point she is wearing you know that kind of classic Snow White uniform that you think about Uh, so I guess she had this outfit and um, uh, she doesn't have to wear the rags anymore Um, I, I was under the impression that the queen forced her to wear the rags like all the time but uh, apparently she can just wear, uh, you know, her Snow White costume, too, if she wants, when she's picking wildflowers. Um, and then we see that the huntsman is there, and he's watching her. He's kind of stalking her. And um, uh, Snow White sees this little bluebird, and she and the bluebird have a moment. And the bluebird will come back in the story later. Um, and then the huntsman comes up, and he raises his knife like he's going to kill Snow White, but then he stops. And he tells her the whole thing. He says that the queen wants her dead. And he tells her to run and hide and never come back. And she, she, um, you know, she freaks out. And uh, with good reason. Because, you know, here's here's this guy about to kill her with a knife. And turns out the queen wants her to die. Um, so she runs off deep, deep into the woods. And um, as she's running, she sees forest creature eyes everywhere. You know, they're coming from all directions. And she, uh, again, she just can't deal. It's it's actually a pretty dramatic scene. And um, I remember this scene as a kid, as a four-year-old watching this. And it, it's scary. Um, definitely scary. Um, so, uh, and we'll, we'll get to some of the inspirations behind this scene uh, later on. So, uh, yeah, look forward to that. Um 
but as she's uh, she's running and her dress gets caught on these branches that basically look like hands, and I, you know, it's it's to be assumed, I guess, that it's kind of in her mind that these branches are hands. I don't think they're actually turning into hands, but um, yeah, she she's freaking out here, and she falls into a hole and into a river, and then these alligators start chasing after her. She gets out of the river and she just collapses on the ground and just begins sobbing. Um, but after a minute, the sun kind of comes out a little bit and it turns out that all those eyes, those scary eyes, they're just these friendly little forest creatures. There's a deer and chipmunks and rabbits and a little turtle that we meet later and bird, more birds. And, um, the little bluebird is there with his parents this time. Um, and, uh, so the, the bluebird was lost earlier when, when he met Snow White. Um, and so then once Snow White realizes that these, um, animals in the forest, they're not trying to get her and they're not scary they're just friendly little creatures she's kind of embarrassed and um uh she uh sings a little song with the the little baby bluebird and the song goes with a smile and a song life is just like a bright sunny day your cares fade away and your heart is young it's a nice song it's it's kind of sweet you know it's snow white's realizing that um uh, all of her fear was kind of in her head in at this moment um, so the, the animals gather around Snow White and, you know, they clearly love her. She's very, she, she has a way with, with the animals for sure. And, um, so Snow White's kind of happy now. Um, she's escaped the, 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 the queen and everything, but, um, and, and, you know, the terrifying animals turn out to be just kind of friendly forest creatures, but she, she still needs a place to sleep. So the, the animals, um, know about a place where she can go and the birds kind of grab her by the, her little cape and they direct her through the woods and, um, uh, they, they, they kind of peel the little leaves back. Um, and, uh, there's this little, um, cottage this little uh forest cottage and um snow white says oh it's adorable just like a doll's house which i think is uh that's nice um so she peeks inside then she knocks and she realizes there's nobody home and she so she goes inside and this whole bit it, it it's very reminiscent kind of of goldilocks uh and the three bears um so, uh, and you'll, you'll kind of see what I mean in a minute. So she goes inside, the animals go in there with her, they look around and she sits in a chair and, uh, she sees that, oh, there's seven little chairs that must be seven little children, you know? Um, uh, but it's a mess inside. She thinks it's all these filthy, uh, and these, uh, these filthy orphans live in there because, um, a, a mother would clean up after them. She, she, she says, so must just be seven little messy orphan children living in this, uh, in this cottage. So she and the animals clean up the place. And she, this is where she sings the song whistle while you work, um, which is a very famous song. Um, uh, as they, as they clean. And it, it's kind of funny They're they're cleaning like the dishes and this deer starts licking one of the plates clean, but you know, that's really gross. Um, so they, you know, Snow White puts the, puts the dishes in a tub. Um, uh, then there's these little chipmunks and they're, they're doing their thing and they kind of look like Chip and Dale, like the rescue rangers, you know, um, which they very, which they probably are modeled on these two, these two little chipmunks, I would imagine. Um, cause they're both Disney. 
Um, so the birds, uh, the birds bring flowers in from outside and they clean the clothes in the lake outside and they just make the place kind of spick and span and it's and it, uh, a lot cleaner than it was at the beginning. Now, um, we meet the seven dwarfs and they are singing this little song about digging. It's like we dig, 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 dig. We mine the whole day through and there are jewels all over the place as they dig. And it's, it's kind of uh, a little bit crazy because so these dwarves um oh and by the way it's called snow white and the seven dwarfs not the seven dwarves with a v it's with an f not with the v i'm not sure why um but you know there it is um uh but the, but here's the thing the, the there are jewels everywhere and this is their job to go mining for jewels um and they go to this mine every day and there are jewels like the whole place is like shining with jewels it's like haven't haven't they mined this place clean or 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 are there many different mines and like i don't know there's like diamonds everywhere and it's like man these dwarfs are probably rich like didn't i don't know it's just it just seems like there's too many too many jewels in this place so um the, uh, the clock turns five o'clock, and then um, at this point, they sing the very famous song, Hi-Ho. And, um, you know, a side note I mentioned in um, uh, An American Tale, Steven Spielberg told Don Bluth that he wanted a hi-ho of his own, and that's where the song Somewhere Out There came from. So, uh, yeah, so here's Hi-Ho. And, um, and so in this version, it's hi-ho, hi-ho, it's home from work we go. Uh, later on, they sing the song again, and it's the same exact song, except it's hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. So they they love going to work, and they love coming home from work. They have a nice, well-rounded life. <laughs> um, so they, they put all the jewels in this vault, um, and uh, Dopey locks the door, and he hangs the key up next to the door, which kind of reminded me of, uh, you know, in the Andy Griffith show, uh, how the how the the key is just hanging next to the next to the the vault. So, I mean, it's kind of what's the point of even locking it if you're going to put a key if you're just going to hang the key up next to the door? But apparently, in this world, there really aren't any like thieves or robbers that are trying to take these jewels. Um, so they march through the woods on their way home. So then back back in the cottage, um, Snow White goes upstairs and the animals follow her and she opens the door and she sees that there are seven little beds with the names carved in them and they're Doc, Happy, Sneezy, Dopey, Grumpy, Bashful, and Sleepy. And, uh, and Snow White says, what funny names for children. Because, you know, she thinks that these seven orphans live there. She doesn't know that these seven old men. Um, so um, after she mentions the, the sleepy, she, she yawns and says, I'm a little sleepy myself. So she lays down across three of the beds. She lays across Dopey, Sneezy, and Happy's beds. And the birds uh, put out the candle and put a little blanket around Snow White. And they all fall asleep. Um, but then the animals wake up to the sound of the dwarfs singing hi-ho um, on, uh, you know, the, kind of the sound is getting closer and uh, they run away. Um, but Snow White, uh, she stays asleep upstairs. Um, and then outside, uh, they stop singing and Doc sees that the uh, the light is lit. And Doc has the kind of funny way of talking where he can't quite get his words right. So he says, the lit's light, the light's lit. Um, and they all say Jiminy Crickets, um, uh, and they say that a couple times actually in the movie Jiminy Crickets. That's kind of like an expression that they say. And I don't know if they're. I, I'm I'm assuming at this point maybe 
um, uh, Walt Disney kind of had the idea for Pinocchio. So um, there's a little Pinocchio crossover. Um, <clears throat> so um, they think it's a ghost or a goblin or a demon or a dragon. They don't know what's inside a monster. So they decide to uh, sneak up on it, and they got their pickaxes ready, and they peek inside, but they don't see anyone. So they go inside, and they see that the whole place is cleaned up, and there's soup cooking, and they think, but they think it's a witch's brew. They they don't know why. They don't know what's going on. Um, and then uh, I mentioned earlier that the birds brought these flowers inside, and Sneezy, who has massive hay fever, uh, I'm talking massive because he sneezes from the flowers, and everyone and all the dwarfs and all of the furniture just goes flying across the room. So very unrealistic sneeze um, <laughs> for Sneezy, but it, it's like, it's like a gust of, of a, it's like a hurricane. Um, uh, but you know, it's cool. Um, so they, they hear, um, so then we see that they're the bird, the little baby bluebird and his parents, they're upstairs and they start tapping upstairs and shrieking um, and I don't know why they do that, but, um, they do. And, uh, the dwarfs get super freaked out and they think somebody's in the bedroom. Um, so doc decides they need to go upstairs and chase it down. And so they all kind of vote dopey to go upstairs to go check it out. So dopey goes upstairs by himself and they, all the other dwarfs are really scared and they're just like sitting down at the bottom of the stairs watching. And uh, Dopey opens the door and he sees Snow White, under, but she's underneath a blanket. So um, he doesn't know what she is and he hears her yawning and he gets really scared and he runs back downstairs and he, he kind of mimes, because Dopey doesn't talk, by the way. Um, he kind of mimes what happened and um, they think there's a monster asleep upstairs in their bed. So they decide to go upstairs and kill the monster. So they're going to go murder Snow White, all right? Um, so then upstairs, all seven dwarfs go into the bedroom and they hear Snow White yawning, um, and they decide to kill it. So they take off the blanket first. Thankfully, they don't just start like pickaxing blindly at the blankets. Cause that would be a different movie. <laughs> um, so they take the blanket off and then they see that it's Snow White and Doc says, why it's a girl. Um, and they, all of them fall in love with her immediately, except for Grumpy. Okay. So Grumpy kind of hates her. Um, and he says, she's a female and all females are poison. They're full of wicked wiles. Um, you know, I don't know, maybe Grumpy had his heart broken once, but he, he does not like women and he does not like Snow White. And, um, so Snow White wakes up and she sees the dwarfs and she gets scared. Um, and so the, 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 and then they kind of like pop up and it's a funny little visual gag where each of them pops up and their little nose kind of bops up uh, above the bedpost. And um, uh, Snow White um, kind of, uh, she's scared at first, but then she realizes that they're just these little dwarfs and she says, why, you're little men. And she likes them and um, uh, she guesses all of their names, you know, um, because all of their names are written on the bed post and she guests you know she assumes that the, the guy with the little chubby guy with glasses is doc and um uh she uh, uh she realizes that dopey um can't talk and um and happy corrects her and tells her that he's actually just never tried to talk before which i think is funny um uh and she introduces herself as snow white and they've heard of her and they say the princess um and uh 
So I, again, this is a small town, I think. Um, so uh, Snow White tells them that the queen will kill her if they send her away um, because she has nowhere else to go and she knows that the queen wants her dead Um, grumpy's the only one that doesn't want her to stay but you know they they let her stay after she promises to cook and clean and do all that stuff and i I mean look i mean even if she didn't do any of that stuff i think six out of the seven dwarfs want her to stay anyway so you know it's a democracy so um so then back downstairs snow white checks on the soup and the dwarfs uh rush downstairs to eat the soup but snow white makes them wash up first and they don't want to um and you know they probably never washed up ever and i i would imagine they smell horrible but you know whatever um so they they all show her their hands and they're all filthy although the animation um their hands just kind of look like kind of shadowy but I guess that's dirt on their hands, and she makes them go outside and wash up in the tub. Um, Grumpy doesn't want to do it, and he says, ha, women. Um, Again, Grumpy hates women, Um, I guess. Again, he probably got his heart broken, apparently, or something. Um, So they all wash up in the tub, and and Doc is singing a little song about washing up, and it's kind of the tune of the song that Snow White and the Prince were singing at the beginning of the movie. Um, And then after they all wash up, uh, the the six dwarves grab Grumpy and they force him into the tub and they tie little bows around his beard and the, the, one of them says that he smells like a petunia and uh, you know it's funny um, and then Snow White calls them inside for supper and um, and then we cut back to the castle and the queen has the little box in her hand again and she asks the mirror again who is the fairest one of all. And uh, this time the mirror says, Over the seven jeweled hills beyond the seventh fall, in the cottage of the seven dwarfs, dwells Snow White, fairest one of all. And um, But the, the queen says that Snow White lies dead in the forest, and she shows the mirror the heart in the box. We, the audience, don't see the heart because, you know, this is a G-rated movie. But um, she shows it to uh, the mirror, and... Um, but the mirror says, Snow White still lives, the fairest in the land. Tis the heart of a pig you hold in your hand. Um, so, obviously the huntsman didn't kill Snow White, but he did murder a pig <laughs> and put the pig's heart in the box. So, the queen realizes that the huntsman tricked her and she storms downstairs and she decides to disguise herself and go to the dwarf's cottage. Um, so she looks in her spell book and she finds a, a, um, a spell for a peddler's disguise. And so she cooks up this potion and, um, you know, she does all like the, she says all the magic words and gets, get put, gets all, all the potion from different things and mixes it up with a thunderbolt or what a lightning bolt. And, um, uh, and then she changes herself into an old hag. And, uh, you know, you've seen, you know who I'm talking about, this old hag. She's super scary looking. And I remember, you know, when I was four, that when she turned herself into an old hag, uh, that that was kind of traumatic for me. It's really scary, actually. And her voice changes and everything, and she cackles um, at her uh, super scary disguise. And... Um, then uh, she still needs one more spell. She finds a spell to make a poisoned apple. And it says, one taste in the book. It says, one taste of the poisoned apple and the victim's eyes will close forever in the sleeping death. So this is the spell for the sleeping death. Um, 
so yeah, gonna be uh, we gonna be scary. Some scary stuff coming up here. Um, so then we're back in the cottage, and Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs are dancing and singing and playing music and musical instruments, and the animals are watching from outside, and it's um, this you know a little party scene, and Snow White dances, and um, it, uh, this is a side note, but if you've ever seen the animated movie Robin Hood from uh, 1971, I believe. Um, the, uh, this little dance that Snow White does, um, they were running out of money when they made Robin Hood, so they basically uh, recycle the animation from this for like that dance sequence with Maid Marian and everything. And um, it's funny because when I was watching this, I, I um, remember hearing that at one point, and also um, I've seen Robin Hood many times, and it definitely is the exact same dance that she does. Uh, but anyway, um, uh, Dopey and Sneezy do this bit where they get into a big coat so they look like a real tall person with Dopey's head up at the top, you know. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering if that's the first time that this trick had ever been used um, in, a, in a movie, almost definitely, um, at all, maybe, uh, uh, maybe, <laughs> um, you know, the, the two people in a trench coat, two children in a trench coat to become an adult kind of thing. Um, even though these these are just these dwarfs are adults, but they're they're little men. Um, so then after they all dance, um, they ask Snow White to tell them a story, and um, she tells them uh, this story about a princess who fell in love with a charming prince, and she sings the song "Someday My Prince Will Come," which is another very famous song uh, from the movie. Uh, Grumpy still does not like Snow White, by the way. We find out here in the scene. Um, so then the clock rings and it turns out it's past their bedtime and uh uh doc insists that the princess will sleep in their beds upstairs and the dwarfs will sleep downstairs and so snow white says okay if you insist she goes upstairs and um downstairs they the dwarfs fight over the one remaining pillow and uh dopey just like grabs one little feather from it and uses that tiny feather as a pillow it's funny um, and then upstairs, Snow White is saying a, a prayer, and she says, Bless the seven little men who have been so kind to me, and may my dreams come true. Amen. And, oh yes, please make Grumpy like me. And it's funny because, like, a, a big portion of the plot of this movie is just Snow White trying to get Grumpy to like her. Um, so the dwarfs all fall asleep downstairs, and they're snoring, and one of them uses Dopey's butt as a pillow, and it's kind of funny. Um, and like a fly falls asleep on one of their noses. And so all the dwarves are sleeping and Snow White's upstairs sleeping. It's kind of a quiet moment. Meanwhile, back at the castle, the witch turns the this apple into a poisoned apple and it turns red so that Snow White will want to eat it. And then she uh, says the the spell, when she breaks the tender peel to taste the apple in my hand, her breath will still, her blood congeal, then I'll be fairest in the land. Um, which made me ask the question, <coughs> does she have a potion to turn her back into the queen? Um, because, you know, she wants to be fairest in the land, but she's this, this old, scary looking old hag. Um, and, uh, and old hag, these, those are not my words. That's, those are what, you know, that's what she's, she's, uh, referred to in the credits and that sort of thing, the old hag. But, um, uh, does she yeah does she have a, an exit strategy here to turn back into the queen um 
I don't know. It's never, never, uh, we actually never get to that point. You'll see why in a little bit. Um, anyway, she realized, the witch realizes that there may be an antidote to the poisoned apple. So she checks her book and the antidote, it says the victim of the sleeping death can be revived only by love's first kiss. But the witch doesn't think that's going to happen because she thinks the dwarfs are going to think she's dead and bury her alive. So this, this, this sleeping death that the poison apple will bring upon Snow White is not going to kill her. It's just going to make her permanently sleeping. Um, so that's terrifying. Um, but uh, so she, uh, so the witch gets into a little rowboat and she leaves to kill Snow White. So then in the woods, um, she's paddling through the mist, through the woods, towards the dwarf's house. So here comes the witch. Then it's the next day. And um, Snow White sees the dwarfs off to work, um, and they tell her to beware of strangers, and she kisses them all on the forehead, and Dopey kind of does this thing where he keeps, like, running off and coming back for more kisses, and it's kind of sweet, you know, Dopey Dopey probably likes Snow White most of all. Um, And Grumpy doesn't want to kiss, and this time they're singing hi-ho as they watch, as they walk away, and this time it's off to work we go, so they're just as excited about going off to work as they were about coming home to work, they've even got the same song, as I mentioned, so then Grumpy says, uh, I'm warning you, don't let nobody or nothing in the house, and so then Snow White says, why, Grumpy, you do care, and she kisses him, and he squirms away and doesn't like it, but then then he kind of pauses and blushes and turns around as it gets this big smile on his face, so he, he, obviously, he does love Snow White here, but then he, you know, he shakes it off and um, kind of bumps into a tree and falls into a river as he leaves, and um, yeah, so, so, yeah, Grumpy's a complicated guy, um, so um, then here we are again with the witch and she's walking through the woods and she knows that at this time of day the dwarfs are at work um, and these vultures watch on and they're getting kind of excited because they know that, you know, someone's about to die. Um, they just kind of get that feeling. Um, and uh, then uh, Snow White is in the cottage and she is singing Someday My Prince Will Come to herself as she bakes a pie. Um, and she, she, the birds put this little thing on top of the pie that says grumpy. So she's making a pie for grumpy. So again, Snow White's a little obsessed with grumpy. It's kind of, kind of strange. Um, uh, the animals are helping her make the pie. The birds are like, you know, with their feet making little crisscrosses and the, and the crust and that sort of thing. And then the witch shows up at the window and she's got this little basket full of apples, including the red apple. Um, and uh, the witch asks if the little men are there, and Snow White says that they're not, and Snow White says that she's making a gooseberry pie, but the witch says it's apple pies that make the menfolk's mouth water, um, and so she hands her the poisoned apple, and the animals all realize that something funky is happening, and they, they, know, they don't trust this lady, this witch lady, because um, she's freaking scary looking, scary as hell, seriously, um, yeah, she is. And uh, they know she's up to no good. So the birds start flapping all around the witch. Um, but, you know, Snow White has such a pure heart that she she, she thinks that she's just a poor old lady. And she so she, like, shoos the birds off. And she says, there, 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 I'm sorry. And the witch asks Snow White to take her into the house. Um, and she's like, kind of fakes like she's getting sick or having a, some kind of uh, an episode. And 
take her into the house and have a drink of water. So Snow White gets her some water and the witch is holding onto the poison apple as the animals watch on and the animals decide to run away to get the dwarves and let them know that Snow White is in trouble. Um, but then back at the house, the witch says that the apple is actually a magic wishing apple. One bite and all your dreams will come true. And Snow White takes the apple um, and then we cut back to the dwarves and um, uh, the the animals are all running around and dwarfs are like get out of here animals what the heck's going on and then they realize that the animals are trying to tell them something and they realize that the old queen has snow white that's what they say so they, it's real specific they know exactly what the animals are trying to tell them um so they all hurry back to the house um but um uh so snow white has the apple and she uh the, the witch is like isn't there anything that you want to wish for and so snow white makes a wish that the prince will fall in love with her and she takes a bite of the apple and she says, I feel strange. And she falls to the floor. And then the dwarfs get there with the animals and they find the witch and she's cackling. And at this point, it's raining and thundering and um, uh, the vultures are watching on. And um, the witch runs away, but the dwarfs and the animals chase the queen to the top of a mountaintop. And, you know, this, uh, where they chase the queen to the top of the mountaintop, I, I very vividly remember seeing this in the theater and being real real scared about it. Um, it had a real kind of profound effect on me, this this moment in the movie. Um, and uh, the, the witch starts trying to pry this boulder down to you know roll over and kill all the dwarfs and animals but um uh, uh lightning strikes uh luckily uh deus ex machina here and um the top of the cliff uh splits in half and as the the uh witch is standing on the edge um and the vultures stand by watching the witch plummets to her death and she screams and falls down uh the cliff um and the dwarfs are watching on, and then the vulture. The scene ends with the vultures circling around, and they're gonna go and eat the witch. <laughs> um, so that's the end of the queen. Um, but then we cut and see that Snow White lies in bed, dead, and the dwarfs mourn her, and they cry. There's tears in her eyes. It's actually extremely sad. Um, and uh, the animals are there too, and they mourn her, and uh, Snow White's dead and that is it um she's dead um but then um uh we see the seasons uh, we're on a tree and the seasons turn from fall to winter to spring and as that's happening we've got text over the screen and it says <clears throat> so beautiful even in death that the dwarfs could not find it in their hearts to bury her so the queen was wrong uh, about the dwarfs burying her. They, they just couldn't do it. So the, it says they fashioned a coffin of glass and gold and kept eternal vigil at her side. The prince who had searched far and wide heard of the maiden who slept in the glass coffin. So this prince, um, who Snow White met at the beginning of the movie, just can't get Snow White off of his brain. He's been searching for her for probably an entire year. Um, and now we cut to the prince and he's singing his song and Snow White lies in her glass coffin as the dwarfs bring flowers to her um, and sit around her coffin. And then the prince appears and walks up to, the, to Snow White. And uh, I'm not sure uh, logistically how this happened, but all of a sudden there's no more glass over her. Um, 
So uh, the prince walks up to her and he gives her a kiss on the lips, which is a strange thing to do to a, a dead woman uh, to kiss her on the lips. Um, but he does. And uh, Snow White opens her eyes and she wakes up and she sees the prince and she's got a big smile on her face. And, you know, as, as far as Snow White, you know, in, in Snow White's world, she took a bite of this, in her mind, a magic wishing apple and says, I wish for my true love. And then she wakes up a year later and, and there he is. So I guess, you know, everybody else has been living in torment. Uh, but for Snow White, she just closes her eyes and opens them a year later and there's her true love. So the, the wishing apple worked, I guess. Um, and, uh, so the prince, um, uh, the dwarfs and the animals see that she's alive and they get real happy and the prince picks up Snow White into his arms, uh, cause she probably can't walk cause she's been lying down in this coffin for a year. And um, the dwarfs and the animals dance, and they're real, real excited about all of this. And the prince carries Snow White to his horse, and he puts Snow White on the horse because, again, she probably can't walk. Um, and Snow White says goodbye to all the dwarfs, and she kisses them all on the forehead again. And gr- even Grumpy, and Grumpy now loves Snow White a lot because um, you know uh, she's been dead for a year, and he realized that you know, he, he, yeah, she, she's cool, but. Um, uh, the prince uh, walks the horse with Snow White on top into the distance, and they, they see this shining castle in the distance, and then um, they stand there, and we go up into the castle, and the storybook says, and they lived happily ever after. The storybook closes, and that is the end of the movie. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's a nice movie, and there was so much of it that I didn't remember, um, but a lot of it that I did as well. And, um, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed rewatching this movie, um, uh, for the first time in, I guess, uh, 32 years is the first time I saw this movie. So, um, so that's the, uh, that's, that's, that's the synopsis. Um, but let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the production of the movie and, and the background and, and all the things that, that went into making it. So, um, the uh so snow white and the seven dwarfs it it came out in 1937 and um it is based on the german fairy tale by the brothers grimm although there's quite a bit that is changed um i think in the brothers grimm story it ended uh, not so great for snow white but um you know it's disney so um, Snow White um, premiered at the Carthay Circle Theater on December 21st, 1937. And then, as I mentioned earlier, it was followed by a national uh, release on February 4th, 1938. And it was a, a critical and commercial success, and it made $8 million during its initial run, which held the record for the highest grossing sound film at the time, and it was later um, unseated by Gone with the Wind. And um, uh, adjusted for inflation, um, when you take into account all of the re-releases, um, it is one of the top 10 performing movies uh, at the North American box office. Um, so uh, it was nominated for the Academy Award in 1938 for Best Musical Score. And then the next year, um, Walt Disney, who is the, you know, the producer and just the, the head of the movie, it was uh, directed by David Hand. That's the uh, the supervising director, but obviously this movie is Walt Disney's, um, you know, from top to bottom. Um, so 
1939, at the Oscars, Walt Disney was awarded an honorary Oscar for the film, and um, this he was awarded with a unique award consisting of one normal size Oscar plus seven miniature Oscar statuettes uh, to represent the seven dwarfs, which kind of goes without saying. Um, and uh, the award was presented by the ten-year-old uh, Shirley Temple uh, in 1939. Um, then in 1989, uh, the Library of Congress deemed the film culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant and selected it for preservation in the National Film Registry. Um, and also, uh, the American Film Institute ranked it among the 100 greatest American films of all time, and also named it the greatest American animated film of all time in 2008. And um, it is it is a pretty great movie, I got to admit. Um, and you know, this movie uh, uh, had a huge effect on um, every animated film to come after it. I mean, this was a pioneer, and without this movie, who knows where animation would have gone? But this this uh, really. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's Snow White, you know, I mean, everybody knows about Snow White. Um, so let's talk about the cast a little bit. Um, so Snow White is played by Adriana Casalotti. And uh, the, the Adriana Casalotti has kind of an interesting career. So this was the first movie that she ever worked on. And she was paid a total of $970 for the film, which is equivalent to uh, around almost $17,000 today. You know, it's not a small chunk of change, but I mean, the voice is Snow White. You'd think she would get more than that, but you know, times were different. And um, she also wasn't credited in the movie and she had trouble finding new opportunities later on in, in life. Um, and actually, um, uh, Disney kind of didn't want her to appear in anything else. Jack Benny mentioned uh, in an interview that he had asked Disney for permission to use her in his radio show and was told, I'm sorry, but the voice can't be used anywhere. I don't want to spoil the illusion of Snow White. So <laughs> it's kind of messed up um, uh, because sh she was basically uh not allowed to work after this movie um she only had two more jobs in the film business and they were real small um big movies but small the first was an uncredited role in the wizard of oz where she provided the voice of juliet during the tin man song if i only had a heart i haven't seen that movie in in a while um but she speaks the line wherefore art thou romeo um so that's real small and then in 1946, she had an uncredited role in Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life. She's singing in Martini's Bar as uh, James Stewart was praying, is praying. Um, so very, you know, very small roles after this. Um, uh, later on uh, in life, she sold autographs to get by and also made an attempt at an opera career. Um and, you know, she, she did some other things. She re-recorded uh, um, I'm Wishing, which is a song she sings at the beginning of the movie um, when she was 75 years old. Um, and she, in 1994, she was named a Disney legend. Uh, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> um, she was freaking Snow White. 
and uh, and really nothing else. Um, and she was married four times, and um, uh, she she died in 1997 um, at the age of 80. Um, so kind of a an, uh, kind of a sad sad story, I guess, is Adriana Casalotti. Um, but uh, but there it is. Um, also, uh, uh, Lucille Laverne played uh, Queen Grimhilda in The Witch. Um, uh, so yeah, she, the Lucille Laverne voices both the Queen and the Witch, which I think is kind of cool. And she, she's a she was actually she had a pretty big career in in theater, um, and this was uh, her. And she was in a few a few movies. Um, uh, but and and then Snow White was her her final movie, and she died in 1945. Um, and then some of the other, you know, uh, Harry Stockwell was the prince. Uh, fun fact about Harry Stockwell is he is the father of Dean Stockwell, who you might know as Al on Quantum Leap, uh, which was one of my favorite shows growing up. It's a good one. Um, and you know this uh, the rest of the cast. I mean. I, you know, these are all, these are all actors that I, I haven't really, that, you know, this is 1937, so it's not like they're still working today, but Roy Atwell played Doc, Pinto Kolvig played Grumpy and Sleepy, um, Otis Harlan was Happy, Scotty Matra was Bashful, Billy Gilbert was Sneezy, Eddie Collins was Dopey, Maroney Olsen was the Magic Mirror, and Stuart Buchanan was the Huntsman. And and these actors they all they all had you know pre- pretty good careers um, uh, outside of Snow White. It was really kind of Snow White herself kind of was the one that kind of got screwed by this movie really. But but her voice for Snow White it, it's so perfect. I mean it it it's very it has this kind of quality. So maybe the fact that she was never in anything else makes it um, you know makes. It, it have more impact, um, and that's obviously what Walt Disney was going for, but um, at quite a huge cost to, to her career and probably to her life, too, really. Um, so then as far as production of the movie goes, um, the, the development for the movie um, began in early 1934, and in June 1934, Walt Disney announced uh, the production of his first feature to be released under Walt Disney Productions. Uh, and he announced that to the New York Times that year. Um, and so, uh, also during that year, um, he acted out the entire story to his staff, announcing to them that the film would be produced as a feature-length film. So th- this was a big deal at the time, because um, th- there weren't any feature-length animated films in existence at the time. This was the first and um, a lot of people didn't think that it would work. Um, and in fact, uh, as Disney began uh, uh, production on the movie, he um, estimated that it could be produced for a budget of $250,000, which at the time was a big amount of money. This was 10 times bigger than the budget of an average um, Silly Symphony or Mickey Mouse short cartoon, both of which you know Disney had made many of. Um, so, um, this was to be the first full length cell animated feature in motion picture history. Um, uh, and Walt Disney had to fight to get it produced. And in fact, um, his brother and business partner, Roy Disney, and also his wife, Lillian, attempted to talk him out of making it. 
and um and the the indi- and the the movie industry re- referred to the film as Disney's folly while it was in production because nobody thought it would ever maybe not even ever get made um and if it did they just thought it would be a total disaster and in fact Disney had to mortgage his house to help finance the film's production which eventually ended up costing almost 1.5 million dollars um, which is a huge amount and, um, you know, six times more than he thought it was going to cost. And, um, so that's like 60 times more than an average, um, you know, silly symphonies cartoons. This is, this movie cost a whole ton of money. Um, obviously the gamble paid off, um, because it became hugely successful. And like I mentioned earlier, made $8 million, um, in its initial theatrical run, um, which was the, the also, as I mentioned, the highest grossing sound film of all time at the time. Okay, so um, as far as the animation goes, um, kind of the, the one that designed the film was the concept artist Albert Herder. And um, all of the designs used in the films from the characters to the even the rocks in the background had to get Herder's check um, of approval before being uh, finalized. Um, and two other concept artists, Ferdinand Hovarth and Gustav Tengren, um, they also contributed to the visual style of Snow White. Uh, prior to this film being made, um, Art Babbitt, who was an animator who joined the Disney studio in 1932, um, invited seven of his colleagues um, to come with him to an art class that he had set up in his home in the Hollywood Hills. Um, and... Uh, there was no teacher. Babbitt just recruited a model to pose for him and his fellow animators as they drew. And these classes were held weekly, and each week more animators would come. And after a few weeks, Walt Disney called Babbitt to his office, and he offered to provide the supplies, working space, and models required if the sessions were moved to Disney's studios. Um, so Babbitt ran the sessions for a month until animator Hardy uh, Gramatke suggested that they recruit an art teacher named Don Graham um, to teach the class. Um, and he taught his first class at the studio on November 15th, 1932. And um, these classes were principally concerned with human anatomy and movement, and although instruction later included action analysis, animal anatomy, and acting. So... They, basically, the idea was to get this stuff to look kind of as real as possible. But this is a an interesting quote by Walt Disney in, in 1935. And he says, The first duty of the cartoon is not to picture or duplicate real action or things as they actually happen, but to give a caricature of life and action. To picture on the screen things that have run through the imagination of the audience to bring to life dream fantasies and imaginative fancies that we have all thought of during our lives or have pictured to us in various forms during our lives. He continues to say, I definitely feel that we cannot do the fantastic things based on the real unless we first know the real. This point should be brought out very clearly to all new men and even the older men. So, you know, the the animators. Um... Uh, basically saying that they need in in order to um, to create these fantastical things based on real life they, they needed to understand real life um, so there 
they shot live action footage of Snow White, the Prince, and the Queen, and this was for reference uh, for the animators. But the animators disapproved of the idea of rotoscoping, which is basically tracing over the live action, um, saying that it hindered the production of effective caricature. So none of Babbitt's animation of the Queen was rotoscoped. However, some of the scenes of Snow White and the Prince were actually directly traced from live action footage. Um, Something, a fun fact, it was that it was difficult um, to add color to Snow White and the Queen's face, but eventually they found this red dye that worked, and when it was added um, with a small piece of cotton wrapped around a tipple pencil on each individual cell, uh, they were able to color in their faces. But this method was so time-consuming that it was never used again on the same scale. Um, it was also used to a smaller degree in Pinocchio and Fantasia, but then after uh, Helen Auger, who was an employee at the ink department, um, after she uh, and she worked on, she did this in Snow White. But after she left the studio in 1941, there was nobody there with the skills who could replace her. So this method of um, uh, red dye on a cotton wrapped around a tipple pencil uh, was never used again. Uh, so the the studio also had these multi-plane cameras and there there are cool videos of this on YouTube um if you ever get a chance to look at them and they give the three-dimensional feeling in many of the sequences and also uh giving a rotating effect in the scene where the queen transforms into the witch and again I definitely recommend watching those cuz they're they're really interesting to see um and you know I I mentioned in uh the an American Tale episode um, how uh, Don Bluth wanted to go back to the early Disney way of animation when there's tons and tons of layers um, to give it that three-dimensional feeling. And, you know, in between these early Disney and then the, in the 1980s with Don Bluth's resurgence, the, a, a lot of this stuff never really um, was used that much again. Um, but it, it, it's, uh, it, it makes the film look so much, so, so beautiful, um, and just so layered and there, there's just so, so much going on and so much dimension that it, it's really a visual treat to watch this movie. It really is. Uh, if you, if you do, if you do get a chance to rewatch this movie, I would recommend it cause it's, it's, it's pretty great actually. Um, uh, let's talk about some of the, the music in the movie. And we've mentioned, I mentioned it a little bit, uh, before, but, um, uh, the songs in the movie were composed by Frank Churchill and Larry Morey, um, and Paul J. Smith and Lee Harline composed uh, the music score, um, which was kind of based upon the, the songs in the movie. Um, so some of the, the songs that I mentioned were Hi-Ho, Someday My Prince Will Come, Whistle While You Work. And uh, since Disney did not have its own music publishing company at the time, the publishing rights for the music and the songs were administered through the Born Company Music Publishers, which continues to actually, continues to hold these rights. In later years, the studio was able to acquire back the rights to the music from a lot of their other films, but not Snow White. So the, the Born Music Publishers still own the rights to the, all of these songs from Snow White, um, which I'm sure is a real pain for, for Disney, because um, I'm sure they, you know, I'm, I'm sure they've worked it out with them. But um, So, uh, Another interesting fact is that Snow White became the first American film to have a soundtrack album released in conjunction with the film. Um, before this movie existed, a, a film soundtrack recording was unheard of, and uh, movie studios uh, saw no value in it. And then, obviously, 
uh, movie soundtracks are now a staple for every almost I mean pretty much every movie has a, a soundtrack so uh, there were many other uh, cinematic influences on this movie um, so at the time of the movie Disney encouraged his staff to see many different films uh, these range from mainstream films uh, such as MGM's Romeo and Juliet from 1936 um, to which Disney made direct reference to in a story meeting pertaining to the scene in which Snow White lies in her glass coffin, um, which is very reminiscent of, of Romeo and Juliet, for sure, as the prince comes and, and sees her, although it has a bit of a happier ending, doesn't it? Um, and he even uh, referenced more obscure films, including European silent cinema. Um, uh, two of the films that uh, Disney referenced were... Uh, the German exp- the German expressionist filmed uh, Nosferatu about the uh, the vampire uh, from 1922 and the Cabinet of Dr Caligari from 1919, um, uh, both of which were recommended for Disney's staff to watch. And uh, the influence of these um, scenes are uh, definitely felt as Snow White is fleeing through the forest and and um, the the eyes are appearing and there's shadows cutting across. Um, uh, yeah, if you, if you watch Dr. Caligari, you can definitely see the influence. Um, and also in the scene where the queen transforms into the witch. Um, yeah, definitely both of those scenes do feel very German expressionist if you watch them. So that's, that's interesting. Those are the movies that he referenced. Um, uh, and the scene where the queen transformed into the witch is also inspired by the 1931 film, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, which, you know, the queen turning into the old hag, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, it, it is very, uh, uh, does feel kind of related. Um, so as I mentioned, uh, in the original theatrical run, uh, the movie premiered in 1937 and, um, the audience loved it. Um, uh, the audience included Judy Garland, Marlene Dietrich, and Charles Lawton. And six days after the premiere, Walt Disney and the Seven Dwarfs appeared on the cover of Time magazine. Um, and, uh, the New York times said, thank you very much, Mr. Disney. Obviously the, uh, once the movie came out, the idea of Disney's folly was completely erased as everybody loved this movie. I mean, look, th- this movie holds up now. I can only imagine seeing it in 1937, you know, um, nothing even close to this had existed, um, in 1937. So audiences must've been absolutely blown away by it. Um, so following uh, exclusive runs at Radio City Music Hall in New York City and in a theater in Miami in January of 1938, RKO Radio Pictures put the film into general release on February 4th when it became a box office smash. Um, it earned uh, more than four times uh, the amount of money that any other picture um, did in 1938. Um, so it was a huge success. Um, and it, it also uh, did well with foreign audiences, uh, having a, a huge run in theaters in Sydney, Australia, um, doing well in London and uh, many other cities as well. In total revenue during its original release, uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs grossed $3.5 million in the United States and Canada. And by May 1939, its gross international amounted to $6.5 million, making it the most successful sound film of all time. And it displaced Al Jolson's The Singing Fool from 1928. Um, And then, as I mentioned earlier, it would later go on to be displaced by Gone with the Wind. Um, But by the end of uh, Snow White's original run, 
um, it had earned $7,846,000 in international box office receipts, uh, which earned RKO a profit of $380,000. So as far as re-releases, the first re-release was in 1944, um, which was to raise revenue for the Disney studio during the World War II period. And this re-release was so successful that it it set a tradition of re-releasing Disney animated films every 7 to 10 years. Um, and Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs was re-released to theaters in 1952, 1958, 1967, 1975, 1983, 1987, which is when I saw it, and 1993. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, the Coinciding with the 50th anniversary release in 1987, Disney released an authorized novelization of the story as well, uh, written by children's author Suzanne Wayne. Um, and in 1993, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs became the first film to be entirely scanned to digital files, manipulated and recorded back to film. Um, uh, the, so the movie has a lifetime gross of $418 million across its original release and its, um, its re-releases. And adjusted for inflation, and, and when you take into account all of the re-releases, the film registers, as I mentioned, is one of the top 10 uh, money makers of American films uh, of all time. Um, as far as reception for the movie goes, it was immediately embraced by critics and audiences alike. Um, and the movie went on to inspire tons of other films, including The Wizard of Oz, uh, Gulliver's Travels, um, and, you know, I mean, really any animated film that, that came after. It's, it's hard to deny the inspiration of uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So in 1998, the AFI list of 100 years, 100 movies, it was listed as number 49 best film of all time. And then 10 years later, it was uh, listed as number 34 film of all time. It was also listed as the number one animated film of all time. Uh, the Queen was the number 10 villain of all time. And as far as songs go, Someday My Prince Will Come is the number 19 song of all time on the AFI 100 Years 100 Songs list. And then on October 28th, 1994, the film was released for the first time on home video, uh, on VHS and Laserdisc. Um, and then in 1995, the film had sold 24 million home video units and grossed $430 million. And then the movie was released for the first time on DVD on October 9th, 2001. Um, and it uh, featured uh, special features such as a digitally restored film, a making of documentary narrated by Angela Lansbury, and an audio commentary by John Canemaker and uh, through archived audio clips, Walt Disney himself. Um, and a VHS release followed on November 27, 2004. And then both uh, versions of the film were returned to the Disney vault on January 31st, 2002. Um, as of 2001, the film grossed a combined $1.1 billion from box office and home video revenue, uh, which is a lot of money. And then on November 24th, 2009, the film was released on Blu-ray and it was returned to the Disney vault on April 30th, 2011. It's funny that there's this Disney vault, you know, that like the movies are released and then they're, they're taken back. It's like, um, if you don't, if you don't buy it within a certain window, you, you, you're kind of out of luck. Um, and, uh, uh, it was 
re-released on Blu-ray and DVD on February 2nd, 2016, um, and on digital HD on January 19th, 2016, with, uh, with bonus material. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, that's uh, more or less all I have about the movie. Um, I could talk about Walt Disney for an entire podcast, I, so I'm not going to necessarily go into his life and legacy. There's plenty of documentaries about the man himself uh, that you can check out. Um, but uh, let, let's go uh, to end to end this thing. Let's let's talk about um, uh, uh, this being the first uh, Disney feature length film. Um, let, let's talk about just real quick list off some of the others so snow white and the seven dwarfs released december 21st 1937 then pinocchio was released on february 7th 1940 fantasia was released on november 13th 1940 uh then a film called the reluctant dragon was released on june 20th 1941 uh it's a film i've never seen or heard of to be honest with you um and then dumbo was released on october 23rd 1941 and then bambi was released on august 13th 1942 and i would say that when you think of the original classic Disney movies, Snow White, Pinocchio, Fantasia, Dumbo, and Bambi. Those five movies are kind of the ones, you know. Um, And uh, yeah, you know, then lots of other uh, Disney movies um, were released. And The Jungle Book uh, was the was the the final movie that Disney was actually alive to oversee, although he died um, while that movie was being made. And then, you know, that movie went on to be released on October 18th, 1967. Um, yeah. And that, you know, is pretty much all I've got, uh, for Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Um, again, this, this movie, I, I hadn't watched it in, in over 32 years and it, um, it was very, very fun for me to rewatch it. I, I watched it a couple times to prepare for this podcast and, uh, I, I did very much enjoy seeing it again, um, and I'll I'll never forget the experience of seeing it in the theater and being surrounded by terrifying first graders, uh, much in the same way Snow White is surrounded by terrifying uh, forest creatures. Um, uh, and uh, and yeah, so uh, again, that, that's pr- that's pretty much all I've got. Um, thank you for listening to uh, this episode. This. Uh, my second movies in the theater episode. Um, I think for my next uh, movies in the theaters episode, I'm probably going to do the 1988 film who framed Roger rabbit, um, which was my younger brother, Greg's first movie that he saw in the theater. And I, um, I definitely, uh, enjoyed seeing, uh, that movie. Um, I've got lots of, of cool stories to tell about that. And, uh, it'll be, uh, interesting to revisit. Um, I think that the only two movies that I saw in the theater in 1988 were A Land Before Time uh, in November and uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which must must have been July or August. Um, And since I already did a Don Bluth movie uh, earlier, um, it'll be fun to to check out uh, Robert Zemeckis' joint uh, and and see um, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which, uh, uh, yeah, Uh, well, you know. I got a lot to say about it, but uh, I'll, I'll save that for that episode. Um, uh, in the meantime, I've got some some great guests lined up for my next episodes. Um, uh, so uh, stay tuned uh, for the next episode that will be released in May. Um, 
And until then, yeah, I hope uh, I hope you enjoyed this uh, revisiting of Snow White um, and the Seven Dwarfs, and that maybe you, uh, if you haven't seen it in a while, that you go back and and rewatch it. Aside from the more maybe we'll say not non-feminist elements of the film um, that don't quite hold up so well. I think the movie as a whole uh, does hold up uh, very well and just visually just absolutely stunning movie um, to watch. So yeah, check it out. Um, And uh, I guess that's it uh, for me for now. So uh, until next time.